A wonderful good morning to every one of you. We are privileged to be back in the house of the Lord. We thank God for making it possible what some time ago was not possible. So we thank God that we can be able to once again dedicate ourselves to listening to the word of God because God wants to build us. He wants to uh, bring us towards our destiny. Today I want to share with you a word that I have called uh, transformation therapy. Transformation therapy. And I want to start reading from uh, the book of First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. The Bible reads here, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. And Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scripture declare the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into, the, into a den of seas. Let us pray. Lord our God, we want to thank you so much for this great opportunity for us to be together as your family in this place. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you have brought us out of darkness into your wonderful light so that, Lord, you are transforming us into the very kind of people that you want us to be. Thank you, Lord. You are going to make us into people that fit into your eternal, wonderful family. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that today speak to us through your word and let us understand, let us see and hear what is it that you want to do in our lives. To you be the glory and the honor. And everyone say, Amen. When Jesus came, he came to build the true temple of the living God. And I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus had a very, very clear uh, mission and he followed that agenda that he had uh, to the dots. He was not wasting his time. He was investing his time into that which was relevant and was important for him to reach his destiny. So Jesus came to build the true temple of God. Now we know that there was a temple when Jesus came, a temple and built uh, over 46 years earlier by Herod and by uh, the people of Israel. Uh, and of course, this temple was uh, a command of God to be built, you know, in the Old Testament. It was first built by Solomon, 
It was a desire of David to build that temple, and it was actually built according to the very uh, template of God that was first given to Abraham, I mean to Moses rather, that when God gave him that template to build the tabernacle of God. So that temple was there, but it was far away from what God wanted it to be in. So when Jesus came into this world, of course, uh, things needed to be transformed. They were not the way they should have been. And therefore, you know, uh, there was a therapy necessary, a transformation therapy. And uh, I want to apply this not just to the temple that was built at that particular time or that was existing at that particular time, but a real temple of the Lord that is you and me, because we are the temple of God, as we will still see. Now, the temple of God was reduced from what it was supposed to be, you know, in the days of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, into, as Jesus himself says, a, a den of thieves and a marketplace. That was never the idea. Of course, there were certain rules and regulations, but what the people were making out of uh, their command to worship God was com completely different from what God had in mind in the first place. And you know, this is always the danger, that we take something, that we hold it, but we transform it in our own ways and make it something completely different. I think this is what we are seeing very clearly even in our uh, contemporary church. You know, when we look around the world, we see that the church is not really what God wanted it to be. It's not that holy and righteous temple that God wants to build, but it has become something completely different. And that's why we must always come back and allow God to speak to us, to, you know, have a right to transform our lives and make us what he wants it to be. So Jesus demonstrated that his house must be clean. It must be a holy temple of the living God. Now, some of us, we have got difficulties to understand this scripture when Jesus was going with a whip and was uh, cleaning the temple. But we must understand this is, a, is part of, 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 of the, the mission and commission of Christ when he came into this world. You know, he, he demonstrated that what is not meant to be needed to be, uh, you know, transformed. And of course, sometimes before you can build something, you have to destroy. Before you can put something right, you have to overthrow what is there. You know, we see this in the book of uh, Jeremiah very clearly. You know, Jeremiah was given a mission to build, to plant and to build. But before he could do that, he had to overthrow, he had to destroy, he had to, you know, uproot, uh, because that was required in order for him to do what his mission was. And that's exactly what we are seeing here. Jesus saw this temple. Jesus experienced what was going on there, and it was very, very far from what he really had in mind what was on his heart. And so he took very drastic measures. And you know, that very measure that Jesus took actually is just a picture. It's just an illustration of what he wants to do in your life and in my life. Okay, let me read this now from the book of John. I've read it from the book of Matthew 21, verse 12, but I want to read it also from the book of John, verse Chapter 2, verse 13. 
The Bible reads, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes, and he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me, or the seal for the house of God has consumed me. You find that in the book of uh, Psalms chapter 69. Now here we see Jesus taking uh, very, very drastic measures. And of course, some of us, we think, you know, how could Jesus make a whip? You know, because often we are displaying Jesus as the nice and good uh, savior that can't do any harm to anybody. Uh, don't be mistaken. Jesus is holy and righteous. And where required, he will even use a whip. And that is not only true at those, in those days or at that time, it is true for us as well. So if you're experiencing whip, don't always blame the, the devil for that. It may, be, it may be Christ who is trying to cleanse your life. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 30, we read a very interesting word, which says, blows and wounds cleanse away evil. Okay, so if you get the blow and the wound, and, 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 uh, and, and you know, you experience some, some beatings, then it may not necessarily be the devil, but it may be God who is trying to uproot evil in your life. So blows and wounds cleanse evil, away evil, and beatings purge the inmost being. Okay, so our inmost being needs to be transformed. You know, we all came into this world far away from the purposes of God. The Bible tells us very clearly that we were all gone astray, you know, just like sheep. And for us to be able to come on the right track, for us to pursue the ways of righteousness, the righteousness of God, we need to be brought into the right kind of lane. And if it's not possible that God's word of mercy and grace is bringing us to the right uh, track, then God may even use a whip in order to achieve what he wants to do because he loves us and he doesn't want us to be, to be lost. So we can clearly see that God, you know, uh, puts his claim on the temple of God and he puts the claim that he has upon you and me his children. You know, God says, you are not your own, but you are mine. You are bought with a price, a high price for that matter. And that's why God cannot just agree that we go astray along the way. So therefore, we must honor God, not just with our lips, but with our body, with everything who we are, what we do, you know, deep inside of our being. Our current way of life 
you know, is to actually portray the things that are yet to come. You know, we are meant to be the temple of the living God, and we are yet to, to see the greater things coming to materialize. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, uh, I want to read this again because it's so important. God tells us through the uh, Apostle Paul, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Okay? You know, what you have, the best thing you have is your body and your soul and your spirit in you. Okay? You may have a lot of properties, but those really, they can be separated from you in a, in a second. Okay? But the body that you have is who you are. You know, the, the soul and the spirit that, you, that is within you, that is who you really are. And, and the Bible says you must recognize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourselves, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. The high price that God paid was his own son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world and shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. So very clearly, this is what God desires, that each and every one is realizing we are the temple of the living God. And while we are in this world, we are members of these bodies, but you know, every one of us should have the unction or the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon them. So the Bible tells us that he desires to see us sanctified in spirit, soul, and body. Okay? That is his desire. We find this in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 where Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Okay? So there are different layers in ourselves. Okay? Some of us, we are not fully aware of who we are, okay? We look into the mirror, we see that body of ours, either we are happy or we are not happy, okay? And we think this is who we are, but that's not who we are. You know, yesterday we had a funeral here, we saw a body in a corpse, uh, and we knew that body when the person was alive. Now, the body was there, but the person was no longer there, you know? The soul, the spirit was no longer there. And so we must under understand you know, that God is relating a message to us, which is very, very important. You know, God, the God of peace, is to sanctify us through and through, okay? That is our whole spirit, our soul, and our body is to be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whether he is coming in the clouds or whether he is coming when we meet him face to face, you know, uh, we, we, he may not come until we have already passed away, but we'll still come to meet him, whether we meet him in person or whether we meet him in the resurrection, it doesn't matter. So God wants to do a mighty and great work in our lives. So the one who created us, created us spirit soul and body. You know, in the book of uh, Genesis chapter 
2, verse 7, the Bible tells us very clearly that God was taking from the ground the soil, the soil, and he formed uh, the human being. And then he was, once he had finished forming the human being, he was actually blowing his spirit into the nostrils of the person that he had created. And the Bible says, and became a living being or a living soul. Okay? So there were two elements, one taken from the earth, one coming from God, and the two coming together made us into living beings, made us into a soul. So yes, we, had a, we have a body that is from this earth, from the ground, and yes, we have uh, received at that time the spirit of the living God uh, in, our, in our lives. And so there's body and there's spirit. But as a result, we became a living being. We became a living soul, as some translators are saying. Okay, so we are now body, soul, and spirit. And we know that because sin came into this world, this body is not eternal. This body has got a lot of uh, shortcomings, a lot of aches, a lot of pain, because sin is real. And so God said, okay, I'm going to to remove that body from you at the, at the right time, okay? And then I'm going to give you another body which is called the resurrection body. But in the meantime, we need to learn to allow God to rule our body, to rule our soul, and to rule our spirit. God's righteousness must be in all three of them, body, soul, and spirit. Now, since this is not what happened from the very beginning, uh, we are not the way we should have been in creation, but we became completely derailed through sin, God needs to subject us to a, a therapy of sanctification, okay? You know what a therapy is. You know, therapy means you have to apply certain, certain functions and uh, certain, uh, you know, words and deeds in order to bring somebody into a different kind of state. And that's exactly what God uh, is doing. The Bible says without that therapy of sanctification, we cannot see the Lord. So in other words, the therapy that God applies to you and to me is actually God's love for us. Okay, therapy may not always be pleasant. Okay, those of you who have had one therapy or the other, uh, you may know that sometimes therapy can be very painful, very, very uh, depressing. But actually, uh, without that therapy, we are not having a destiny. And that's why God applies that. So we cannot sanctify ourselves. This is the work of God through the word and through the spirit that lives in us. So we are called the temple of the living God. Uh, you know, in us, the spirit of God wants to dwell in every one of us. And of course, he cannot dwell in an in a unprepared body, in an unprepared vessel. And that's why we need to be cleansed to be, be made righteous and holy. We are the many members under the leadership of Christ who is the head of that body, the ecclesia, okay? 
what we call in English the church, the ecclesia called out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, Jesus knows every detail about us, okay? Actually, he knows more about us than we ourselves do know, okay? Sometimes we have a, a great, grand opinion about ourselves, and uh, sooner or later we come, find, we come to find out that God is putting a mirror in front of us, and we realize that this is not what we really are. So Jesus knows our inmost thoughts, innermost thoughts, and he knows our desire. You know, whatever desires we have, good or bad, he knows all of them. When Jesus came, he called his disciples. You know, these disciples were young men, uh, still very able to be formed, and uh, they became disciples. Okay, and the word disciple is a very, very important word because it means you become disciplined in certain ways and means and you go through the way of discipleship, okay? Discipleship means transformation, means change. You know, that's how God applies that therapy into the lives of us who are disciples. Unfortunately, these, these disciples, just like all of us, when they came to Jesus, they still had their old mentalities and, and their fallen nature, okay? So they still behaved according to the pattern of this world, not to the pattern of Christ. And of course, Jesus was fully aware of that, and it, that's, that's why he called them to begin to uh, transform them, to make them be what God wanted them to be. So Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what was hidden, what no eye could see. Now, there was a spirit of competition amongst them, you know, apart from many other things, but that's where I want to highlight it from, you know, uh, and the competition was uh, manifesting in who is the greatest amongst us, okay? Let me just read you a scripture from the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 46. Okay, they were walking with Jesus, but of course, you know, they were making sure that when they were discussing and arguing amongst themselves, Jesus was on a distance so that they could not hear. So the Bible says here, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Okay, for such an argument to, uh, to start and, and, and even, you know, continue, uh, you need to have some very strong sentiments from different people who are all claiming the same, okay? So there were people who were claiming, you know, I'm the greatest. And of course, there was not only one of them, maybe that would have settled the, the issue, but there were several of them who wanted to be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, very interesting, you know, Jesus knew their thoughts. He didn't hear what they were saying, but he knew their thoughts. Took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this child, this little child in my name, welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Okay? Now, let's understand this is the therapy that Jesus applies. Okay? He can see what is in the mind of the people, what the arguments are how the competition is going on, you know, and probably this was going on for a while, and then Jesus decided, okay, let me, 
just give them an illustration, just give them uh, a teaching that they can understand. So Jesus took a little child, and you know, children have no com accomplishments to boast about. You see, their disciples, uh, they probably had certain things that they were claiming why they should be the greatest, okay? Peter, because he had the loudest voice, <laughs> or one of the others who may have uh, been eloquent in other things, you know? Uh, but whatever the case may have been, Jesus took that little child without, you know, children have, have no CV. They have no, they have no accomplishments. And so Jesus took that little child and put him beside him. And he is now elevating this little, church, this little child standing there. He says, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. So in other words, you are not here uh, and you are not my disciples on, 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 on the account of your accomplishments or what you, who you are or what you think you are but because I've called you just like a little child, okay? And the little child can be formed, and uh, this is really what Jesus desired to do in the lives of the disciples and in the life of each and every one of us. That's why, you know, when we ever, whenever we come into uh, the place, like this morning, listening to the word of God, we must always be ready and willing to be transformed, to be changed, we must come with that kind of uh, readiness to hear God's words and adjust our lives accordingly when he speaks to us. So Jesus said, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me in, uh, welcomes the one who sent me. Okay, so... He takes that, that line from this child to himself and even to his father. So this child is representing a person that God can use. And then he says, for he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. So in other words, what Jesus was saying is, I'm willing to be portrayed. I'm willing to show myself in the person of a little child, okay? He didn't choose somebody who is a mighty influential businessman or somebody who is really having it all together in power and strength and saying, him is the one who represents me or him is the representing the father. No, he takes a little child and says, this child is just like me, okay? This child represents me and I'm representing my father. And so he gave them that powerful teaching that the one who is least is the greatest of all. And of course, Jesus demonstrated that not only in this very uh, lesson that he gave them, in this very therapy that he gave them, but he demonstrated it in his whole life. You know, Jesus was the king of kings and the lord of lords, but he became a servant. He was not showing off. He was not pushing people around to say, don't you know who I am? But he was serving and he was giving people direction. And we need to understand that this is what Jesus wants to see in us. You know, he wants to see us like children who are willing to learn. 
Now, of course, little children, they, they hear the voice of their mom and their dad, and, uh, you know, sometimes they may not obey. Sometimes they may make mistakes. And, of course, that's why uh, there, are, there are parents who are bringing the children in line. And Jesus is willing to bring us in line, you know. That's why we are disciples. A disciple is not somebody who is perfect, but somebody who is still to be shaped, just like a little child is still to be shaped. So let's understand God has a great and wonderful plan in every single one of us, but we must not be big-headed. We must not think we are the greatest. We must be willing to learn when God gives us therapy. Remember last week we talked about Peter who was asked by the Lord Jesus Christ three times, do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you love me? And Peter got very, very sad because, you know, it touched him in his innermost being. Of course, it was very easy to say with your lips or for him to say with his lips, I love you. But when Jesus asked him three times, you know, he entered into deeper spheres of his life. And of course, it was not so long ago that uh, Peter was denying him three times. So he came face to face. You know, he had like a mirror in front of his, if, of his face. Peter, you are not who you said you are. You need a transformation. You need that therapy. And Jesus is giving us that therapy because he loves us. You know, he, he, he takes us into this road of discipleship so that he can transform us and make us into the kind of people he wants us really to be. So, don't forget, Jesus knows everything about us. We may say one thing and think something different, but Jesus knows not only what we say with our lips, but he knows what they think in our mind and our hearts. We cannot deceive God. God knows every little thing. You know, it's very interesting that very often we try to make a good, uh, uh, a good impression in front of other people and uh, forget that we are actually making a very bad impression before the living God who sees all things. And we must really learn to live our lives to God rather than to people, okay? What people may say about you may be secondary, but not what God says about you or me. That is primary. So Jesus demonstrates his value system through a little child, okay? And it's very important that we recognize that in our lives as well. So Jesus deals with our habits. You know, we all have old habits when we come into the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter for how long you have been walk, walking with Jesus, whether it's one year, two years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, it doesn't matter, you know. When we came into the kingdom of God, we had old habits. And God wants us to transform these old habits. And if you have been walking with Jesus for, you know, a distance, then, you know, there should be evidence that these habits are changing. There should be evidence that you're no longer the same person that you have been when you first met him. You see, God is very aware of everything that goes on inside of us. You know, I mean, imagine that the word of God tells us that he knows the number of our hairs on our heads. Okay? And even if you have shaved it off, you know, he still knows how many roots are there and how many hairs can grow. Imagine. 
Now, he knows every detail of our minds because he is our creator. You know, it's not strange. It's something that uh, should be that way. You know, if someone creates a thing, then he must be able to know exactly what, what is going on inside. You know, there are, there are people who have uh, programmed amazing uh, computer programs and uh, these programs can do amazing things today. I mean, if you go into a factory today, which is manufacturing cars, it's not what it used to be maybe 50, 60, 17 years ago where you see a lot of people doing a lot of things, uh, but you see a lot of machines who are, who are doing certain uh, functions that may, human beings are no longer doing. You know, for instance, the whole body is being welded together by robots. Now, for these robots to function the way they should, Human beings had to develop programs. And of course, the human beings must know at every moment how this robot is functioning. They must know about every, every uh, twist or touch that the uh, robot is going to, to make. If it goes out of control, of course, then there will be disaster, isn't it? So human beings know, those human beings, not everybody, but those human beings who have created those computer programs, they can actually check uh, in the computer and they see exactly what the, what the robot is doing because he's actually performing a certain sequence of the program that he or she has written, okay? And that's why you should not be surprised when God says he knows the minds, the hearts, the thoughts of each and every one of us. He knows because he's our creator. You know, just like a computer programmer knows what is going on in a certain program, God knows every detail about us. That's amazing. But then, you know, this is how he can help us because he knows where things are not the way that he wants them to be. So we must learn to be controlled by the spirit who sanctifies our body. You know, we must learn to get rid of the old baggage that we have come with, our old nature that uh, needs to be transformed and subjected to, uh, to a new way of life, the way of God. And God is doing this work through his spirit in us. So Jesus has to deal with our wrong motives, okay? Like I've been uh, using that example of the disciples who had uh, that motive, I want to be the greatest, I want to be seen, I want to be elevated by everybody else. Hey, you know, this is it. You know, this is the greatest man of God. You know, you can see this uh, a motive that is very, very prevalent in our time today. You know, people are putting, you know, their leaders on, on pedestals instead of uh, accepting them as the servant leaders who they are supposed to be. So Jesus is dealing with those wrong motives. And he wants to give us therapy to redirect, you know, the energy that goes into wrong motives into the energy that uh, propels us into his destiny. And that's what we need. As long as our souls controls our affairs, we will never please God. Now, this is a very important line which I want you to understand, you know. When we are born, you know, uh, 
we may not differentiate so well between our body and our soul, but what is in us, you know, our soul, is controlling what we are doing. So a thief is controlled by the desire to become rich or maybe even uh, feed himself with some food or whatever. You know, a thief is controlled by his soul. When we become children of God, then we are no longer supposed to be controlled by our soul. But we must now learn to be controlled by our spirits. Okay? Let me, let me explain to you, you know, in the temple there were three different partitions. Okay, there is the outer court in which the sacrifice was, the, was, was, was brought on the altar and uh, was killed and shed the blood. Okay? And then there was the holy place, you know, that you could only, that only priests could reach. And thank God we are kings and priests today. You know, the sacrifice in the outer court was already given for us. It was the true sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood. Okay. But then there is a brazen lever, you know, there's a, a, a big bath which need, we need to take. And every, every priest had to cleanse himself uh, passing through that, that brazen lever, you know, where they could actually look into the, into the water and see themselves. And they had to wash themselves. Okay? Then they could proceed into the holy place. In the holy place, there were certain instruments, certain furniture, as we can call them, you know. There was the, the menorah which gave light, because otherwise no daylight could go in there. It was not permitted. There had to be only that light. And this is representing the light of God, okay? So when we come into the holy place, then, you know, it has to be illuminated by the light of God. Then there is a table of bread, showbread, as it was called, and that bread represents Christ again, you know, uh, just like the menorah represented Christ as the light of the world, uh, the bread, the showbread represented Christ as the bread of life. And then there was uh, an altar of incense, okay? The altar of incense was where we need to learn to worship the Lord, where, you know, our value systems are to be changed, where we are no longer uh, serving ourselves, worshiping ourselves, but where we are giving the worship to whom it is due. That is our God and Father. And most of the priests, of course, couldn't go any further than that, you know. There was a, a heavy curtain, a high curtain, that was hindering them to go to the next room, which was called the most holy place. And the most holy place was again a place uh, in which there was the Ark of the Covenant, okay? And uh, there was what was called the mercy seat. On top of the mercy seat, there were Jerobim. Let me just read a little bit from the book of Hebrews about that, okay? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room, there was the lampstand, 
the table of the consecrated bread, this was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense, the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant, the Ark that contained the gold, of, uh, gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark was the, where, where the cherubim, the glory, the, where the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. That's what uh, the writer of Hebrews says. But I want you to see the details from Exodus chapter 26, verse 21. God spoke and he said, place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. There above the cover between the two cherubim that are, the, that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet you and give you all my commandments for the Israelites. Okay, so there was an ark of covenant and uh, that was the covenant that God made between the Israelites and himself, okay? There were certain things which represented that covenant. And then on top of it, there was a cover, and it was called the cover of, or the mercy seat, uh, because the covenant was unable to be kept by any human being. You know, the ten, ten commandments that God has given to us, we cannot keep it. We don't have the strength. We don't have the ability. And therefore, God, by his grace, decided that he would do it himself for us. Okay? So on top of this box now, which was called the Ark of Covenant, he put the mercy seat. Okay? There was a certain platform there, and that was called the mercy seat. And on that uh, mercy seat, there were, you know, two cherubims that were installed on top there, and they were looking right down on that very seat of mercy, okay, on that platform. And on and, 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 and that place, that's where the high priest had to appear once in a year and bring the blood that was, uh, that was shed outside the camp and apply that blood, and uh, you know that is how they would not be subject to judgment because of not keeping the covenant. That was God's mercy and God's grace that was there. And notice what it says here. God says, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet you and I give you all my commands to the people of Israel. So God says, that's where I will meet you. And let me, let me say this, you know, God will speak from within our spirit. You know, there, is that, there are these three layers, the outer court, which is our body. There's the holy place, which is our soul. Okay, when we are children of God, it becomes a holy place that God, that God is transforming from what it used to be and what he wants it to be. Okay, and he, he brings us the light of God, Jesus, the light of the world. He feeds us with the bread of life, with the word of God every, every day, you know. That, that uh, light of God is guiding us, that, that word of God is feeding us. 
And that only, only like this we can then worship God in the right way. And we can be able to, to do what God has called us to do in this world. And because of the blood that was shed by the Lord Jesus Christ, it is applied by the high priest. And of course, even again, Jesus is the high priest. Okay, so he has come into his own tabernacle and has shed his own, he has brought his own blood that he shed at Calvary. And the cherubim are no longer judging angels, but they are applying grace and mercy to our lives. This is amazing. Now, this is an illustration. It's very important we understand that. You know, in the same way, God wants us to live from the spirit to the outside, okay? Where we hear God is from the spirit, okay? You have ears to hear, yes. But actually, what you hear in the natural must be able to come into the spirit. Okay, let me, let me take it a little bit further. Uh, I think we all remember the, the scripture that uh, Jesus has given us uh, in the book of John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, especially verse 38. Okay? Jesus went to the Passover, I mean to the celebration, you know, there was a big celebration going on, and uh, Jesus was uh, speaking to the people at that particular time, and it was very important that we understand that. The, the Bible says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus said, stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Okay? The source of life does not come from anything that this world is offering. The source of life is not coming from uh, money that we make, from power that we have, or from anything else that we can claim to be ours. And verse 38 says, whoever believes in me, as scripture says, you know, streams of living water will flow from within him. But whoever believes, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So the, the rivers of, of water, the living water, will flow from our spirits, okay, into our soul and will be, you know, uh, magnified in our bodies in that, in that order, okay? God is spirit, and those who want to worship him must be worshiping him in spirit and in truth, okay? So in other words, when we are without God, you know, our soul controls what we do, and we, we can see a lot of bad things that are happening in our world, you know, right now there is wars and rumors of wars, you know, just like the Bible says, you know, uh, just because people are selfish, they are motivated by their selfishness, by their own uh, motives that are controlled by sin, and that's why, you know, there are these things. But when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God, okay? The kingdom of God is absent if you don't have the spirit. You can't perceive the things of God through your soul or through your body. It's not possible. You can only perceive the things of God through the spirit, okay? And, and Nicodemus was, was completely 
perplexed and he says, how can I be born again? I'm already an adult. Can I still go back in my mother's womb? And he says, no, no, even if you would, it would still be flesh and blood. But that which is born of the spirits, that is eternal. And so, you know, God is giving us from his spirit. Okay? This spirit must control the functions of our soul. Okay? So in other words, we are controlled by the spirit of God, not by the, by the you know, lower interests of the soul, you know, or the flesh and blood that we have. So the river of righteousness flows from the Spirit, from within. And that's what Jesus clearly said here, you know, he who believes as scripture has said, you know, from his being, from within him, there will be streams of living water. Okay? And God is the one who wants to bring life, who wants to bring joy, who brings all the good things that water bring, you know, I mean I think we are all happy now that we have had a good rainy season, am I, am I right? Maybe if you are not a farmer and not a gardener, maybe it doesn't matter to you too much maybe you're even annoyed when it's raining and you get wet, but you should become a farmer, then you would actually change your mind and you say ah, it's great because I can see all my plants, everything that I have planted is growing and, and bearing fruit so understand that God is doing a mighty work inside of our life. He gives us the therapy that we are no longer controlled by the soul and what, we, what the Bible also called by the flesh, but that we are controlled by the spirit and God's spirit is manifesting himself in our spirits, okay? You see, we are body, soul, and spirit, but somebody who is without Christ, the spirit is fruitless, or is dead. But when we are born again, and that means the spirit becomes alive, then we can be able to understand the signals that come from the spirit. We can understand what God is saying because, you know, God is spirit. And so clearly, God is doing a mighty work inside of our lives. So the river of God's life wants to control our soul and our body. So we must all remain constantly in the therapy of God's word. Yes, last time we were talking about the function of God's word which can be a hammer or which can be a double-edged sword, whatever it is, you know, God is applying the therapy upon our life so that we are able to live according to his perfect plan. Okay? If a computer programming is making a robot and it doesn't do the job properly and all the, 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 the products come out jumbled, then he has to go back to the drawing board and, 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 and clear up the mistakes. You understand? He has to rewrite some codes so that uh, the program can now properly control the, uh, the robot and the robot can do its job. And so God is, uh, is, is, is not using us as robots. No, actually he is applying... Uh, his word upon our life so that we make a choice. That's why the Bible says, you know, he who believes as scripture says. It needs your involvement. It needs your participation. It's not, it's not uh, uh, bringing therapy uh, to, a, to a dead body, but to a living body so that that therapy is, 
is going to make uh, or bring certain changes in, in our human body. You know, if that uh, therapy is applied to your, 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 your something in your life that is not functioning properly, properly. I remember I did a therapy because I, I fell uh, from, from a trailer when I was young and I had a lot of problems in my back, you know, and I went through therapy and it was very, very painful. But it helped, you know, because I learned how I could uh, avoid certain, certain positions and postures uh, and, and be able to, uh, to, to utilize my, my bag uh, properly, okay? So therapy is very important and it needs our involvements, amen? So remember, righteousness flows from within, okay? God wants us to walk on the ways of righteousness. You know, the, 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 the scripture that we have uh, for this year tells us very clearly that, you know, we, we need to, we need to uh, plant the good seeds of righteousness. But for that to happen, we need to plow or, or, or work on the hearts that are too hard so that the seed can be able to find ground and be able to produce fruit. So God wants to give us a seed of righteousness, a seed of holiness. And remember, just like scripture said when we started, you know, the first scripture I read says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the time of our coming, of our, of our Lord Jesus, uh, at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And he is faithful. He is going to do it. Today, we are celebrating Holy Communion. You know, we are once again reminded about these emblems of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, who humbled himself, who laid down his life, so that we can live. We have the cup, which is an emblem of the blood that Jesus shed. And remember, this is the blood that was applied on the Ark of Covenant so that judgment would not come to us, but that we are able to walk freely and that we can be able to worship our gods and live with him in fellowship and forever in a relationship of love and joy. May God bless you. Amen. Let us pray. Lord our God, we want to thank you so much for your word. Your word is giving us illumination, giving us light. Your word is feeding us, is building us. We thank you, Lord, for that. And thank you, Lord, that we could come into this place today, into your house where the different members of your body, the different living stones are gathered so that you can build us, that you can transform us, so that you can apply the therapy upon us so that we are going to be what you want us to be. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have made our spirit alive and that indeed the flow of life the living waters can flow from within our spirit. 
So Lord, let us be able to bear that fruit in our world, fruit that does not come from the flesh or the soul, but that comes from within the spirit in which you have made a well that flows of living water. We give you honor and we give you praise. We thank you, Lord, that you are here to give us this special time of having communion with you. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to your table and that we can partake because of your grace, your love, and your mercy. To you be the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think let's first take the communion and then we have uh, the update later on.